You are listening to the message by Antioch Centre for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. I'm very happy to be together with all of you. I've had a full day of uh, ministry, different places here, there, everywhere. We were at Kamyan also. We started our class on human relations and, and world missions there with, with uh, a group that is hopefully, it was nice. The Lord was there. His presence was there. I felt the people were encouraged. So hopefully I'll hang on to the group for the entire 12 hours of the series. So we did the first two hours today talking about a missionary and, and his God, our relationship with God, our, our relationship with vision, how to develop a vision. First, if we want a vision from God or a ministry, we have to ask for it. And I spoke about that principle that Isaiah was taken up before the throne of God. And God never once told him to begin with that he wanted to do something with Isaiah. He simply let Isaiah hear the conversation within the Trinity about a need. And God said, who will we send? Who will go for us? He didn't say to Isaiah, you will go for us. In fact, Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And really, the birth of ministries, the birth of all that we do for God, has a lot more to do with what we ask God for than what God asks us to do. Even the motivation of Moses before he ever had the burning bush was there. He had a desire to vindicate the Israelites and take care of them. Of course, he jumped the gun, so to speak, out of season. He killed the Egyptian guard and got in trouble for it. But his desire was already there. He was already passionate. He was already looking. And so I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe God can come down and choose someone and do whatever he wants to do. But he is looking for those that are hungry, those that want to do something, those that are seeking an opportunity. And that is missions, really. Missions comes down to people who just, they can't stand sitting still. They need to do something. And they seek until they find the means, the mechanism, and the method of doing it. And they accomplish it. So it has been with our entire career, everything we've ever done. My wife works hard in Cambodia because she's seen it. Her, her heart is moved with compassion, and she finds a way to take care of needs, whatever those needs are. And those things are unique that she can do. We go all the way back to 1980, 85 or 86, I remember watching a documentary on television, and there was a woman in Cambodia who was instructed for the healing of her child that she had to drink a bull's urine. And I remember watching that and getting so angry. I was only 18 years old. I remember being so angry. And at that time, we didn't know we were going to be missionaries, what we were going to do, but something about that program infuriated me. And I said to the TV, it can't be. Somebody has to tell that woman that that is not going to heal her son and that that's a lie. They need to know about Jesus. And I got very emotional and I started crying. And I went into intercession and prayed. It's so funny that all those years later, not until 2006 or seven, that we really started to get involved in Cambodia. And now uh, my wife and I have processed so many people in and out of that country, more than 30 now, have gone and come and worked there. So motivations that come for our ministries are birthed out of us hearing about a need and then we want to meet it. Think about it. even the ministry of Jesus I was teaching us today. Jesus' ministry for the first nine chapters of Matthew was basically the Jesus show, and the disciples were watching it. But then something happened when he looked out over the multitudes. When the time was right from the Father, he saw them like sheep spread abroad and scattered with no shepherd. 
And he was moved with compassion. When he felt that, he said to the disciples, pray to the Lord of the harvest. He said that the harvest is huge, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. He was moved with compassion. And everything starts from that. Then he found the way, of course, by the Father's leading, but Jesus initiated the idea of what he should do. And in that same moment, he spent the whole night in prayer on a mountain to figure out of all the thousands that were coming to him for the miracles, which of them would be specifically the disciples that he should train. Because if you only look at it from today's perspective, you don't understand that at the time, the end of the ninth chapter of Matthew, when Jesus had his disciples around him, the reason you know them so well already is because they wrote the story. It's their stories. It's their testimonies. But before that time, there were many people around. But it wasn't until the 10th chapter that he singled out those individuals. So I can't help but think in the moment that he was moved and he turned to his disciples and he said what he said, there were probably many. When he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest, I'm suspecting that the earnestness with which some of them prayed, ideally the 12, was heard by the Father, and in prayer, the Father told Jesus, these are the ones I want you to choose. Because he says in the 17th chapter, John, the ones you gave me, Father, those I have trained. So that same thing, we see that compassion is the catalyst for ministries. And if we're just trying to do a ministry because we don't want to get in trouble with God when we get home, which some people do, that's not the proper motivation. We have to feel and want to make a difference. And then once we embark on that, it's not going to be easy. Think of how difficult it was in the development of even the disciples with Jesus. They had issues. They had trouble with the things he said. They couldn't quite accept it. They didn't understand it. How many times do I have to forgive? Seven, right? That's about enough. And Jesus said, no, no, not seven. I tell you, 70 times seven. 490 times is not what he meant. He meant unlimited forgiveness. And they were learning in the process. And they were getting so much so wrong all the way to the end. But it was a development. Still, though, they had the desire to follow him and to serve him. So ministries are birthed out of that. And I believe that there are many ministries that are going to be born in the coming days for the nations and in those places. So I'm excited about it. Now, also, I wanted to talk about the fact that one of the reasons I become involved in ministry is because I put myself in a place of sensitivity to God. You say, well, how did you do that? How, how did you make yourself? How many of you have ever asked, you know, how can I become more sensitive to God? How can I become more capable of hearing the voice of God? Well, one of the key ways that you can do that is through fasting. Fasting is not a very popular subject. Not a lot of people want to hear about it, but that, in fact, is what the Lord has been speaking to my heart and what I want to share with you here Tonight, I have a message entitled Fasting Right, because you can fast wrong. So there's a right way and a wrong way to do everything. And what really triggered this was some weeks ago, I was preparing for a service, and I had some time left. And so I laid on the floor in the church here, and I just took a, took a moment to rest and think. And I, I, I fell half asleep before I got up to start things and get things going. And in that moment, the Lord came and spoke to me. And he told me I was going to fast very specifically. 
and he led me to these passages that I want to share with you. And I want to share this with you and share some experiences I've had. But in fasting, right, and what is the context of fasting? I want to read a passage to you from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, I want you to think about this moment. At this time, Jesus was about to begin his earthly ministry. He knew that he was supposed to. He was already baptized in water, already separated, already commissioned by God the Father, saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And so he was separated for the purpose before man. Everyone knew that he was rising to that, but before even Jesus, perfect as he was, began to do what he had to do, he knew that he had to have an ultra-sensitivity to the voice of the Father. And he also knew that he had to pass some tests. And he did so. He went literally into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He went into the wilderness to be separated from everyone so that he could fast, separate himself. Actually, it's interesting to note that the first time fasting is mentioned in the Bible is King David, when he fasted for his child by Bathsheba to survive. He fasted and continued the fast until the child died. And his fast was not successful in what he was asking for, but still we see. And the first person in the New Testament we see is here, Jesus. So David and Jesus, New Testament, Old Testament. First people fasting. Now, for me, my experience with fasting at the beginning of the ministry uh, that the Lord gave me, it was, it was difficult for me to understand what fasting meant. I was no stranger to dieting. Actually, I, I've always been up and down in my weight, and I can, when I crack down on it, I can diet. And I did that before I even knew Jesus. There was a space of time from when I was 15 years old until I was about 16, in the middle of 16, heading towards 17, that I lost more or less 45 kg of weight. From 15 years of age, I lost a person. And suddenly, I was a different human. And it's so funny because I did that without knowing Christ. I did not know Jesus, just by sheer will. So, you know, we can have will to make a choice about doing something. And it was not easy at first, but once I got into it, I enjoyed it. And when I got saved, I remember hearing about people fasting. I remember studying, and here's Jesus. And I made some, as a young believer in Jesus, I started learning about fasting. But really, my first attempts at fasting were usually miserable and uncomfortable and painful with strong headaches like by the for me by the time early afternoon would come without eating I would be miserable so my fast would probably usually it would last from from about the morning till about halfway through the afternoon and I would beg God for mercy and say God I know that's enough I'm sure I've fasted enough and it was never easy. And I saw people in my church who would fast for longer periods. I began reading books about it and questioning, well, why do people fast? And I was reading this passage of scripture one day. And this is about the time that I started to accumulate references. That is, books of reference to study the original languages, Greek, Hebrew, and into these passages. And I studied this verse in the interlinear very carefully and found out something very interesting about the end of the verse. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, 
he was hungry. And of course, this is NIV, which is one of the weakest, weakest translations of the Bible ever created. If you want to be honest, the NIV is easy to read, but it's also easy to not see everything in. So in this case, he was hungry, literally in the Greek means afterward that he became hungry. But by the way the Greek language works, it means that there was no hunger for the 40 days of his fast. Seems like a virtual impossibility. But that's what the Greek said. When I saw that and read it, I thought, well, then this would mean, according to the language, that Jesus was not hungry for 40 days. And I remember Jesus is a supernatural guy. And the Spirit of the Lord was on him for him to do these things. He had already descended upon him in the River Jordan. He went into this fast after receiving the Holy Spirit, right? So he was under the anointing. He was under the power of God to fast. Then I learned the secret. My next fast, I asked God, can you please anoint me to fast? Can you give me what Jesus had? The ability to fast without experiencing hunger. And he did it. And my first successful fasts began. And then God, over the years, as I've developed, went through different times, God has called me to fast in different ways. Never usually a loud trumpet blowing, saying, you know, thou shalt fast, but just more of an idea that I should not eat. And sometimes I have awakened in the morning with a strong feeling, don't eat. And so I did not. And at lunchtime, another feeling, don't eat. And at nighttime, another feeling, don't eat. How many have ever had that feeling? Just like maybe you shouldn't eat. Some of you are looking at me like, never. Never has happened to me, ever. My only impulse is always to eat. Well, maybe you haven't prayed what I've prayed. But I did pray and asked the Lord to come into my life and give me the anointing that Jesus had to fast. And so sure enough, that night time came and I felt like I, I shouldn't eat. Sleep that night, wake up the next morning at about breakfast time because we are creatures of habit. We know exactly when we eat. And our bodies even produce stomach acids according to that clock by repetition. So that morning I woke up still. I felt like, no, and I had no hunger. Next day, this one time this happened for seven days. So I actually found out that under the anointing you can do all kinds of fasting. But usually it was around two or three days. And I did it sporadically, intermittently, through my early ministry and into the middle of my ministry. And that led up to a visitation from God and an endowment of power in 1995. Now, from 1995 onward, there was very rarely was I fasting. Just the impulse was not coming. But then occasionally I would here and there. And I would, of course, do other things to keep myself healthy and exercise and lift weights, which I still do. And so I keep my, my muscle tone and everything is fine. I met a, Actually, I met a guy at uh, our, knowledge of, uh, our table of knowledge meeting the other day, and he was a chiropractor that worked with um, uh, professional ball players in the United States for many years, like the Houston Oilers and like NFL players. And and I was talking to him about a problem in my shoulder. And I said, sometimes my shoulder pops at certain times. And he says, well, have you lifted weights in your early years? I said, yes. And he said, um, have recently you added a new sport to your life? He knew nothing about me at all. And I said, yeah, actually, golf last less than two years. He says, that's what did it. He says, it's easy. Just need to do this. He gave me some pointers. But uh, So I've always done things like that, exercise to keep myself healthy. But fasting is not quite that. And that's where we want to get into this message because after really studying this, I discovered how to fast correctly by yielding to the Spirit.
And the fact is that there is a right way and a wrong way to fast. So in this message, I want us to address both sides. And I'm not the only one that points at the wrong way. Jesus does and Isaiah does. Both of them go out of their way to speak by part of the Father to say the wrong part of fasting before they tell you the right part of fasting. And so that means that it is a common mistake of God's people. That we misunderstand what it is and therefore ha have no success in it. So most of us give up on fasting as a concept early on. We decide it's not for me. We'll let the prophets fast. We'll let the apostles fast. I'm just going to um, every once in a while eat less. But no, fasting is a good thing and it's powerful. I have had such amazing experiences while fasting. There is a place you get to in fasting that you feel like you're flying and nothing is holding you. You are like floating through the heavens and everything is so wonderful. And at that time, so much happens. And later at the end of this message, we're going to see the delight of fasting. But before we get there, we're actually going to see here five things about fasting right so that we can learn and I want everyone to be able to discover the power of fasting as we walk in God's will. And I'm going to end this whole message with an invitation to you. If you would like to join me this coming year, I'm going to give you my schedule. Because the only reason I have a schedule is because God specifically spoke to me that morning on the floor. And he told me exactly what I was going to do and when I was going to fast. I have exact dates. I have Days and times I can give to you. And in those moments, we also will do what this message says. So this, I believe, is a mandate from God for me and an opportunity to teach you about what fasting really is and how it's used. So, number one, we look at the definition of fasting and prayer. Now, you know a lot of people will say prayer and fasting. But in actuality, prayer and fasting is defined or fasting itself is defined as voluntarily going without food in order to focus on prayer and fellowship with God. And honestly, though, my first fast was because I had no money. I was poor, I had no money, and I was proud, so I refused the help of friends on a trip we went on. And I fast, it was my first fast. And because of that fast, it was also the first time I heard the voice of God. And that is also when he called me into ministry. One day, one fast, my entire ministry began. And it wasn't even my idea. As I said, I just didn't have money. But that night, God spoke to me and said, Stephen, I've called you as an apostle. And I'm going to send you. He said, seek the scriptures. He spoke to me. And I took it very seriously. And I went the next day to church and I told the people in the church what God told me. And they rolled their eyes like, there's no way you even know what an apostle is. And I didn't have any idea, but I know what God told me. And as a result of that, I did. So to define it, yeah, it's, it is usually voluntarily going without food in order to focus on prayer and fellowship. So prayer and fasting often go hand in hand. That's why we see these two together. And Fasting can be done without prayer, but we call that a diet. So if you, if you are fasting and you're not praying, well, that's not really a spiritual fast, is it? That's more of a physical thing. And it's okay. And you know what? It's a big trend right now. 
And to be honest with you, I did not know that it was such a big trend. It is the next big diet thing hitting the world is what they call intermittent fasting. I didn't know this. And the Lord spoke to me. He gave me the plan. I wrote it all out. And later on, my wife came and showed me something. She said, did you see this? And I said, what is that? That's what I'm doing. And she said, no, no, this is what this is the diet trend right now, what everyone is doing. Mine is not that, although it will resemble it. I'm telling you, this came from God. And the definition is simple. So prayer and fasting go hand in hand, but it's not always the case. You can pray without fasting. You can fast without praying, like I said, but that's more like a diet. What I'm talking about is the combination. So these three things we see, first of all, no, not eating. This is the define of fast. Well, in essence, it's just not eating. That's fasting. That's why we call it breakfast, because you break your fast. Some people don't realize that all the time until you break it down that way. It means that you went without food the whole night, and now it's time to break your fast and eat breakfast. Did you know that? Isn't that cute? So anyway, no eating combined with prayer. That's the kind of prayer, that's the kind of uh, focus we want. So it's when these two elements, prayer and fasting together, are combined and dedicated to God's glory that they reach their full effectiveness. That's where the potency of the experience comes from. So having a dedicated time of prayer connected to that fasting is not a way of manipulating God into doing what you desire. And that's, we're going to already start to see in the definition some of the wrong thoughts. Some people think fasting is twisting God's arm behind his back to make him do something for you. Some people think fasting is making God feel sorry for you. Look at me, I'm starving. And that is not how he works. I think we know our Heavenly Father is based upon sincerity of heart. God does not want us to try to manipulate him with fasting. But it's a focus on God. So instead of it being something that you're trying to get God to do what you desire, rather it is simply forcing yourself to focus and rely on God for the strength, provision, and wisdom you need to bring about change and development of your spiritual man. That's the definition of it. It's focus on God. It's combined with prayer. It's not eating, yes, these three things. But specifically... It is for the development of you. Now, sometimes people think, well, I'm going to fast for this or fast for that, and they're fasting for people. No, actually, fasting has very little to do with anyone outside of you other than the fact that your activities will change because you changed, and that might, as a byproduct, affect other people. But fasting is about you. In fact, fasting is a very personal very internal thing. Fasting is for you to grow. Fasting, if I fast for Matthews and Matthews is eating value meals at McDonald's four times a day, I don't care how much I fast. It's really not going to help Matthews. If I fast for George and he is, you know, ordering Domino's two extra large pizzas and enjoying his life and just eating and crumbs on his chest watching TV with his feet on the coffee table and I'm fasting away from him. How many of you think that George suddenly is going to be arrested under the power of my fast? No, because fasting is for you and we're going to see more of that later on in definition. Okay, we have this definition. Let's go to number two. What I call the deformation. 
of fasting and prayer. Because this happens. It gets deformed. It gets derailed from its original intent. And this is what God is contending with in one of the most famous fasting passages, Isaiah chapter 58. And we're going to go through most of this chapter. But he starts off saying here through the prophet Isaiah, For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commandments of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. This is interesting. Pretty much you could say this is the cry of the church today. Not just our church, which it is, of course, but every church. Isn't it true? We seek him out. Everybody's seeking him out. Uh, we are eager to know his ways. I'm eager to know the ways of God. This would apply to me. Is if they were a nation or a group that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. The commands of God in the New Testament paradigm can simply be concluded as the will of the Father. So no matter how much you fast, if it's not combined with the will of God, well then it's off the rails. It's not really what God intended. And so he's talking about people that were doing the fast. They were practicing fasts and fasting together. But it wasn't working because of these reasons that he's outlining. They deformed it into a religious practice that robbed it of its spiritual validity. They asked me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. That means they're crying out, come God, come, Spirit of God, come to us. But it's not working. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? So they fasted. They didn't see the results they were looking for and got mad at God and complained to him. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? So here they are trying to, as we said earlier, manipulate God. But they're missing something very important. It says, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife. And then striking each other with wicked fists. In actuality, some of my early fasts, I would become pretty, pretty mean because I was hungry. You know how angry you get when you're hungry? That's when I found out later that I'm not fasting correctly. When you see someone fasting and they're acting all aggressive and angry, that's not the proper kind of fast. And that's what this is saying. You're quarreling angry because you don't eat long enough. You get in a bad mood. And you will fight people. And get angry and say, why are you looking at me? I'm not looking at you. Yes, you are. I see you looking at me. Just for, like you pull things out of the air that aren't even true because you are mad that you're not satiated. You're hungry. But when you're fasting in spirit, it's different. And Jesus is going to give us some words about this in a moment. But here God was unhappy with the way that the Israelites were fasting. He was displeased with their mentality concerning the purpose of a fast. He used the prophet Isaiah to bring correction to the flawed mentality of his people. And they were fasting wrongly, but he wanted to teach them the right because God wants us to know the right. That's what he does. He comes to bring correction and lead us in the right path. So the age-old problem of people wanting a relationship with God and their desire to see his manifestation is outlined here. Yes, people want to see God move, but they sought God out seemingly eager to know these ways that they discuss, but they refuse to change their way of life. 
And that's the bottom line. The first message I ever preached was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent just means change the way you think, the way you act, the way you live. But these people were not looking to change anything. They were not looking to accommodate themselves to fit God's economy of morality nor his standards. They were looking to make God do things exactly as they were. But God requires change. So when you're fasting, you're not approaching a fast as a means or a method of making God do something as much as you want to change yourself. You're looking to be changed. And I'm looking for that. I, I love when God changes me. I want to continue. I want issues in my life that I have wrestled with to go away. And fasting can be a remedy to that. Isaiah 58 verse 4, the second half of that, ver that verse says, You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. So he's telling them, look, you guys are fasting, but you really can't expect it to be successful if this is how you're fasting. Now, this is leading up to a description in Isaiah about the right way to fast. But he first has to outline the wrong way. So, in actuality, the Israelites expected that if they did A and B, that God would certainly do C. It was a formula. It was a mathematical equation. Me plus fast equals me getting whatever I want from God. And that's not true. And this is the problem with religious mentalities. Uh, this is the mentality that Jesus said was like children playing in the marketplace. You know that passage where he says that you're like children playing in the marketplace. And you play the flute and you say, dance to my music. Dance to the dirge that I play. And you didn't dance. That is exactly what Jesus was mocking in the Israelites. That you are expecting God to do things for you. But you're not willing to do what God wants you to do. He wants change. He wants reformation. He wants you to be something. And so he goes on here as we're looking at this. He says, is this really the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is that all it is, is humility? Is it just self-humility? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? And now he's questioning them. Isn't it interesting? This is exactly the same idea that Jesus had when he taught on fast. And he said, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. I don't quite know how to do that, but I imagine it's going to be making an ugly, hungry face. <sighs> Disfigure your face to show people that you're suffering. What's wrong with you, Pastor? Uh, I'm fasting. Uh, no, see, if, if I'm doing that, really, my reward's coming from the people feeling sorry for me for fasting. And that's what Jesus is addressing here. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. The only thing they're looking for is sympathy from their friends because they have an anguished face of distorted hunger and they look like they're dying. And oh, woe is me. I'm fasting. Oh, look at me. It's the same with the way people pray falsely. And Jesus addressed three things in this passage. One was prayer, one was fasting, and one was almsgiving. And all of them he was criticizing when people do it wrongly or falsely. But fasting he goes after here. He says, but when you fast, now he starts bringing correction. Jesus says, put oil on your head and wash your face. And by the way, this is olive oil. And the olive oil was used also cosmetically. They, made, they put it on to make themselves look nice. 
Which, by the way, if I look scruffy today, it's because I'm growing my beard out. I'm going to grow it out through the whole week and come back with a full beard and see if you like it. And I don't care really if you do or not. I'm, I'm going to do it for fun. But I think it's completely gray now, so I should be kind of like a Santa beard. I'm going to find out. But in through years of my life, I've had a beard. It's been only recently. But anyway, I'm excited about in the cold, too, which, by the way, the low is one degree. The high is like 11 or 12 while we're there. So, yes, very excited about that. But my heart is here with you in the fast. Amen. We'll get to that after. Obviously, my fast is not starting this week. I guarantee that. I'm going to give you the schedule in a moment. And that was the first thing I was worried about when the Lord came to me and told me. Immediately, I was like, oh, no, Tokyo. I'm going to Tokyo. He said, no, 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 no. You're going to start just 50 weeks. And he told me when it was going to start, blah, 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 which I'll talk to you in a moment. So. Put oil on your face, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. Now, someone might say, well, Stephen, you're teaching about that. You're saying all kinds of things about the fact that you're, look, I'm speaking to the church, and usually when I do fast, you would never know it. But in this case, I believe the Lord wanted me to explain these principles. And so our Father sees it. He sees what we do. In secret, and he rewards us. Now, Jesus speaks this because he wanted to help us. Isaiah 58, 7 says, Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them, and to, to, to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? That's interesting to see this in Isaiah, and it sounds just like Matthew chapter 25. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you come and comforted me. In prison, you visited me. It's the same principle. That fasting has a way of motivating and raising compassion in us for the people around us. It makes our hearts soft toward the plight of others. And that's what Isaiah is saying. God is saying, look, isn't it better that you start thinking about a fast being something to change the way that you see the people around you and have a greater compassion, a greater concern and the bottom line is we do not change things with fasting, but fasting changes us. That's a good way to think of it. Fasting is to change you. How many of you are super happy with yourself exactly like you are and think that you are perfect? Anyone dare raise their hand? I don't think you're going to do that. I certainly, uh, I see things in my life all the time that, you know what, I need to change that. How many of you have had issues in your life and you've decided that's going to stop? I'm changing that sometime. Like day after day goes by and it stays there. Is that not true? Same, it stays there. It's like you make a choice, no more. How many of you have actually said the vow hidden away in your bathroom? God, I'll never do this again. I'm not, this is, it's the over, it's it. I'm finished. And it's so funny how just 24 hours later you start rationalizing why it's okay to do it. And it's like a bondage that remains. Whatever it is, I'm not asking for your confessions tonight, but whatever the issues, it's, uh, there might be a bondage in your life that you've never been able to get past. Hang on, because you're going to see some keys about fasting that can help you with that. So we do not change things with fasting, but fasting changes us. Number three, the deliverance of fasting and prayer. Now you know about the deliverance ministry. You know that people can be delivered from all sorts of evil, that God can set us free. It was for that that he came. He came to set us free. 
Jesus came to minister deliverance. Remember it says the spirit of the Lord was on him and he has anointed me to preach deliverance to the captives. So the messages of Jesus are to liberate us from whatever holds us back, whatever limits us. Our selfishness, our egos, our pride, the bondages of life, the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes and desires that we cannot satiate and jealousy and everything that is negative, fasting can help you get a handle on it. And look at the passage, actually. I break it down very simply with some bullet points. Isaiah 58, 6. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? And Isaiah gives a list as the Lord is speaking through him, to loose the chains of injustice. Interesting. To untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Notice that there is, all of these are talking about loosing, untying, setting free, breaking yokes. This is also progressive. Because I find during a season of separation, prayer, and fasting, you will see these in this order. That the fast is designed, the one that God has chosen, to loose the chains of injustice in your life. Injustice is just something that is not right. It's not just. It's not what God wants. It's not his best. So you can be bound to things. It can set you free. I know a lot of people who are smokers. I know a lot of people who were addicted to things. I know a lot of people who had issues that fasted and those things were broken off of their life. Never to go back to them. I heard one of the most amazing things I've ever heard about fasting was there was a man who had so many ailments in his body, so much sickness, so many problems. And I, I thoroughly believe that a lot of the sickness that we experience, a lot of the pains in our body, a lot of diseases even, have roots of spiritual things. And that those spiritual things are often decisions we've made or unforgiveness or whatever the case. It's hard to single it out. We just know that there's issues. I'm not saying that everything you suffer with is a result of your sin. But I do believe that fasting has a way of going into you and breaking things. This one, one of the most amazing stories that my pastor told me was there was a guy that he knew that had been fasting for a long period of time and God told him to fast and he had, he had wrestled with his health for the longest time. And after about two weeks, I think it was, of fasting, he literally passed from his body approximately a half an ounce of mercury. Mercury, you know, that's toxic. It's poison. That somehow mercury had filled his body, maybe from wrong kinds of food sources, at certain times in the past too. In fact, certain pesticides, insecticides and such contaminated our food sources. Sometimes it can be in the water. But this man's body was poisoned and it caused sickness to become common because of the side effects of this. And fasting caused his body to push out that mercury and he passed it out of his body, which is amazing. Loose the chains of it, untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free. Something oppressing us, God can set us free to break every yoke. How many of you have yokes in your life you would love to see broken? 
Absolutely. I think everybody experienced that. That's the deliverance of fasting. This is what the scripture says it can do. Now, some people take this and they decide that is their job to pray for other people. And they use this passage to think this applies to like lost souls in a nation or their neighborhood of people who have demonic problems. Actually, this to me is introspective. It is not external. This is for you to loose the chains of injustice in your life. This is for you to untie the cords of the yoke under which you have been living. For the oppressed to be set free. You get set free from this. He's talking about people fasting. This is what I call a fast, he said, so people can get set free. So people can have the yoke broken off of their life. Remember Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He came to set people free. And sometimes we don't even understand everything that we're under until. And I have had areas of my life I thought were perfect. But in a state of fasting, everything, my perspective changed so drastically. And there, I have been on fasts before and had no idea why. And that's why I'm nervous because I'm getting ready to go on a fast this year on and off. And I don't know what God's going to show me. I'm kind of scared. But I'm not worried. Whatever he shows me, that's fine. That's up to him. I'm under his control. But as I go into it, I know there's been times in my past where I've been fasting and God showed me things in my own life that it was like the light was turned on. And I realized, oh, no, can't believe I didn't see that. And that's what this is talking about. Sometimes we are self-deluded, self-deceived, uh, self-convinced. It's easy to convince ourselves of things that we want or that we think are okay. And fasting tells the truth. Fasting uncovers things. And you know, some people hear that and they're afraid to fast. And I don't want to uncover stuff. I'd rather just keep it under the covers. Well, that's fine. But if the Lord tells you, it's not because he's wanting to hurt you. He doesn't want to punish you. He doesn't want to harm you. He wants to prosper you and give you a future. He wants to deliver you. That's always his design. So that was number three, the deliverance of fasting. Now we see the decision of fasting and prayer. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 says, Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? They were jealous because they're having the fast. These other guys, they have a Messiah that's making a thousand bottles of wine. I mean, this guy is totally opposite of a fast. He's multiplying loaves and fish. They're eating. They're having a great time. They're having all these parties. They're literally having parties with publicans and sinners coming together in feasts. They're going to their houses and eating. And, you know, the, the Pharisees, their disciples are jealous. The disciples of John the Baptist are jealous. So they come and question Jesus. And Jesus says, well, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. Now he's talking about his blessed 12 disciples. He's talking about the ones he separated. Now, we know from the time that Jesus, after Jesus left and they started and they were commissioned to begin their ministries in the book of Acts. I'm not taking you through the history of fasting because it's a lot. I'm, I've decided not even to approach this topic with that. Maybe in the future I can take you through all the fasts in the Bible that the disciples made. But they were fasting all the time. For many different purposes, for the purposes of consecration, for the purposes of preparation, for the purposes of sanctification. For the purposes of clarity of the voice of God. All those things. 
But here we see that there is a decision that must be made. There's a time to fast, and spending time in prayer and fasting is not automatically effective in accomplishing the desires of those who fast. Sometimes it, it's a process. God only promises to answer our prayers when we ask according to his will, honestly. Look at this passage in 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, we don't always have that his will part in there. We have a confidence to believe we go to God and whatever we ask, he's going to do it for us. This has a different stipulation in it, doesn't it? It says, according to his will. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Once again, though, according to his will. So it's the same with fasting. We want to make sure if you make a decision to fast, let it be like the man that's wanting to build the tower. Make sure you have the ability to count the cost. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Don't say, yes, uh, my first real fast is going to be for 30 days. I'm going to do a Jesus fast 40 days 49th, no food. Look, don't try that. I told you my first fast was one day. One day, and it was enough for God to speak to me. Later on, I had other one-day fasts, but then I grew to two, three days, four days. My, the max I ever had was one whole week was seven days. It's the most I've ever fasted. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that too. Before we go into it, we have number, number five here, which is the delight of fasting and prayer. So here we see the results of the proper fast. The passage continues in verse 8. And I broke it down for you again. And then we're going to go back quickly after this. And I have a slide for each one of these with an explanation. So he says, then, then what? After you fasted, these are the results. Your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. All of these, amazing. That's a lot that happens from just fasting. So let's break them down one by one. The first one says, your light will break forth like the dawn. So that means the enlightenment of spirit and your sensitivity to him greatly increases during a time of fasting and after you have finished. It shifts you to another place of discernment. And I've found this to absolutely be true in my own life and for anyone that I know who has fasted for any length of time, this always is a result. They, the light breaks forth like the dawn. What they could not see, what was in the dark and what was encrypted is discovered and understood. Revelation comes. The next one, your healing will quickly appear. I already told you about the man that, was, that passed mercury out of his body, but there are other things also. The modification of your own behavior or your self-control becomes much easier. If you can control that, this is something the Lord told me years ago. He said, Stephen, if you control your appetite, you can control anything. Because then I realized your food appetite is just the tip of the iceberg of many issues in your life. If you can control your appetite, there's nothing you can't control. I learned that before even being a Christian, like I said, by losing weight. I found out I have within my power the ability to do this. 
And actually, years ago, especially as a Christian fasting, I learned how to break the back of hunger. I learned how to disarm it by, of course, praying to the Lord to give me the anointing. But I found out also that hunger is a lot here. It has some reactions here and in your digestive system, but a lot of it is up here in your mind. And if you can conquer it in your mind, you can fast indefinitely. You make choices to do that. Your healing will quickly appear, it says. So it's common that people are healed of, of uh, various ailments and illnesses after a season of fasting. The next one was your righteousness will go before you. That's the modification of your own behavior. I'm sorry, I jumped to that one. Or your self-control becomes much easier. The next one, the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. That's nice. This says that the presence of God seems to increase but in actuality, your awareness of his presence causes a greater interaction with the Spirit of God. God is omnipresent, okay? You're not going to have more of God with you at any time. He will always, he, he cannot be conditional about that. You understand? His presence is a fact. So the issue is not his presence. The issue is you and your ability to sense and interact with his presence. That's what um, the Welsh revival was built on. Evan Roberts caused a, a few hundred thousand people to come to Christ in Wales in a great revival by simply teaching this. Your awareness. Your awareness. I like what Smith Wigglesworth says. I quote it all the time. The spirit doesn't move. Move the spirit. Your presence of God is always with you. You will never be in a place where God is ignoring you and not responding to you. If you press in, and fasting has a way of causing your focus to switch. Why? Because first of all, you're not eating. You know how much time we spend eating, right? You don't realize it until you fast. And you're, the, first, the first times you really fast, you're so bored because you realize all of your time is spent planning to eat the next meal, digesting the last meal, and preparing the next meal, and then eating that meal, and then sitting on the couch with your hands on your stomach at the end of that meal where you're already thinking about the next meal. So our life is consumed with eating. When you take that part of us away, suddenly you really have a lot of free time on your hand. And you have a lot of free mental capacity to think about something else. And that's why you need to connect it with prayer. Because that can go anywhere. You could go into um, wild things. One time I was fasting. Bob, remember the time I fasted a few days and made that comedy tape? I, I was, we were on the mission field, which by the way, this ministered to people. But I fasted for three days. At the end of that fast, you know, I was, it was the end. You, you can know when your fast is ending because you suddenly... You become hungry, just like Jesus. You, in that moment, you're like, oh, no, I got to eat. You know when it's time. So there was that moment. And at the end of fasts, I hate ending it because I feel so good and I feel so high. And I know as soon as I eat food, I'm going to crash. And it's true. As soon as you eat the food, you're like, and you feel weighted with it. But before I did that, the very end of a fast one time, I was fasting for three days, I got this idea about making a comedy tape. And so I made a comedy tape and made fictitious radio commercials and broadcasts as if it were a live radio that people were announcing. And I made these advertisements about you know bogus restaurants, just with funny, silly stuff. And I put it on a tape. It was like an hour long. 
was like you're listening to a radio station, though, and I, and I did it well. You know, I'm pretty talented, so I was able to put, I had music, I had sound effects, I had children's voices, I employed other people to come different different parts of it. Uh, I, I had one was um, the an, a public service announcement from the Garbage Eaters Association of America, where it was a group that were teaching people to eat garbage to make a better world. And it was like, sounded really like a government advert about this. And it had music to it and birds tweeting and, and the kids talking. And it, it was very funny. So I finished the whole thing. I gave it to a friend. He took it, he made copies, he gave it to other missionaries. They made copies, he added a couple of things. There ended up being hundreds of copies of this thing that ministered to missionaries around the world from one crazy missionary on a three-day fast. So that's not exactly the kind of result you would think, but it helped, it, and it, you, there are so many things released in you, creativity, all these, because your focus changes, but you want to connect it to prayer so that the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. That God, in other words, that means the glory of God is supporting you and is behind you like a wall, protecting you, your awareness. I like this one. You will call and the Lord will answer. How many of you feel like God's not answering you? I have found myself in that place at times. And every time I've fasted, I've heard his response. It has a connection. I think it has to do with the aforementioned presence of God seeming to increase. It's really because your focus is turning to him. And you're spending more time with him. It's like, it would be like getting to know your spouse better than ever before because you lost your job. In other words, you're stuck at home with them. You're talking all the time. Oh, I never knew that about you. We've become so close. Why? Because you're not occupied with something else. It's kind of like that with God. So you will call and the Lord will answer. Communication with God becomes a greater reality. You will cry for help, it says, and he will say, here am I. See, that's a delight. That you will call for help and he will answer the phone and say, yes, can I help you? How many of you want to hear God say that to you? Here I am. And manifest himself to you. And bring a solution to your problems. God will make himself known to you in new and wonderful ways. In fasting, this I guarantee. And I've never fasted. Even bad fasts still have produced this. So fasting is power. These are all the reasons. If you want to know, well, Stephen, tell me, why should I fast? Well, your light's going to break forth like the dawn. Your healing's going to come quickly. Uh, your righteousness will go before you, which means it's going to be easy for you to do the right thing suddenly. Where before it was difficult, now it's easy. Things you used to do, you're going to say, I don't want to do that. You'll lose desires that you've had forever, and the fast will break that yoke off of you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You will call, and the Lord will answer. You'll cry for help, and you'll say, that's why you should fast, because God is going to make himself known to you like never before. Amen? How many of you learning something? So fasting right, this is the summation of the five things about fasting right in this message where it says the definition of fasting and prayer. We know that it's not eating. We know that it's combined with prayer, fasting together. And, and we know that, that God, in defining it, it's very simple. It's a time that we separate for him. Deformation of fasting, don't do the wrong kind. Don't say, I'm miserable because I'm fasting, woe is me, and God said that that'll be your only reward you get. Don't do it because you think you're going to twist his arm. Get your head in the game correctly and understand 
that the deliverance of fasting is really your focus. That in it, you will be delivered from whatever is holding you back, which can include physical healing of your body. I have seen it before. I have done it. I've been on extensive periods of time with virtually no food and have been healed of many things through it. You know that I'm not a big advocate of doctors. You know I don't go to doctors. You know I don't go to hospitals. I have had symptoms of everything you can imagine, tumors and what I knew. If I sat down and just read symptoms in books through these years, I've had cancer five times. But I've totally prayed and believed, and everything that has come has gone. Because I pray, I fast, I seek God. God is my healer. Well, that's not smart, Stephen. You're supposed to go to the doctor. No, you're supposed to go to the doctor. I'm going to do what I want to do. You do what you want to do, but I make choices. I would rather fast and pray and seek my healer, Jesus, before anything else. The decision of fasting and prayer also. Make sure you're ready to do it. Like I said, maybe you just need to start with a meal. Some fasts are just part of a day which I fasted once for an entire month. I told you about that when we did the Antichrist message. I fasted for a month of lunches. And instead of eating, I put in its place the book of Revelation. And I read it every day. And I grew so much in that time. So there's different kinds of fast. In our church, for the people who could not fast at all, my pastor come up with something he called the Daniel fast, which was basically just vegetables. And people, um, we found out later that people were putting bacon on their salad. And so that was not quite a Daniel fast, but whatever. You know, no condemnation. It's not religion, but come on. Also, we had some guys that were fasting, and they said, you know, this is this fasting stuff's pretty easy. We found out they were, they were drinking milkshakes. Not exactly a fast, but whatever. You know, smoothies and milkshakes and all that. But a real fast is absolutely no food, and just water. That's the hardest kind, but that is a real fast, and that's the kind that I like to do. The decision to do that. And the delight we saw. Now I'm going to show you what, what God's called me to do. This is from me, by the way. I'm going to put this up, this next slide. 2020 fasting schedule for me. And the only reason I'm making it publicly known to you, in case you want to join me on these days, because combined to this will be prayer. January 14th, I begin and we'll start a season of one year of fasting. God told me 150 days of fasting in 2020. And that's when he spoke to me, which sounds really scary. When he told me, I was like, what? But then immediately he let me know that it was Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. Night before last meal, and then eating again on the day of the morning after the fasting day. That means, I'll give you an example, that's a 33-hour fast three times a week. 99 hours of fasting every week. And how this works is that Tuesday, that Monday night, Monday's my day off, I'm going to eat, enjoy life, have a great time. And I'm not going to, at sundown, I'm not going to do that. Some people do that, sundown, sunup. But I'm going to eat my meal at night and go to bed like I usually do. I'm going to wake up in the morning and I will not eat again until the entire day has passed and I've slept another night and wake up on that Wednesday. And Wednesday I eat, but then Wednesday night I have to be prepared. By the way, these days correspond to specific spiritual activities I'm going to be doing, like going to Glen Eagles and praying for the sick. So that when I go lay hands on these people with cancer that are going through these issues, I'm fasting. I'm focused. 
It's going to help them also, but it's helping me so that I can be a better representative of Christ. Thursday, we have prayer here. So I will, by the time we come together to pray, I have spent that day separated for the purpose of seeking God. And on Saturday, we're doing Journey with Jesus. And I want to be prepared and ready. To do that. You know, you think, well, what about Sunday? You're going to eat on Sunday? Yes, I'm going to eat on Sunday. Sunday, Monday, I'm eating. And on, you know, the other days, so I'm eating four days a week, but I'm fasting three days a week. And if you want to join me, you might say, God might tell you, well, you know, let's just do it on Thursdays and we'll go to prayer. That way we experience what it's like. That's fine. But you come up with your own. Maybe yours will be sun up to sundown. Maybe it's more like a Muslim Ramadan thing. You know, that's fine. That's between you and God. You do whatever. I've never really understood how that's a complete fast, honestly. Because they wake up at four o'clock in the morning and eat a buffet. And then the sun comes up, oh, got to fast now, <laughs> the swollen stomach. And then that night, you know, the dates are on the plate and they're ready. So that's, I do that accidentally often. I, I, how many of you ever fasted accidentally or you're just busy? And So that's not so hard, but a real fast is a separation. During, that, during these days also, I am not going to consume any calories. It's just going to be water. I may warm that water because you'd be surprised how nice a hot cup of water is. It makes you feel like you're drinking tea or something. I've done that in the past, too. So, amen. That's it. That's what the Lord told me to share with you. And uh, you are free to write me and let me know. Actually, my son, um, surprisingly, my son told me that he's really interested in doing this with me. So I'm excited. I'm going to talk to both of my sons about that. And I would love that people in different places, Sylvia wants to do it with me. Already a bunch of people are um, saying that they want to be a part of this. And I think that the more the merrier and that we will have a kind of a camaraderie and a collection in that. If God calls you to do it, that'd be wonderful. And if it's one of those days, that's fine. Let me know so that we can get together. And if you have that free time, we can also use those times for doing more prayer than we usually do. I, I have no, I'm fasting, that's all I do is pray. So all I do is pray and seek the Lord and read the scriptures and study. And, of course, I don't have a regular job like most people do. I have other activities, which I will continue to do. But I'm believing that through it, we're going to find some amazing things and that 2020, 2020 will be a breakthrough year to a whole other level of our existence. Amen? And I don't know exactly what that is because, like I say, fasting reveals things you don't know. And so I'm looking forward to finding it. Amen. Okay, why don't we stand on our feet? I want us to pray. I want to pray for us all, specifically concerning the anointing. Now, I'm, uh, this is according to your desire. I don't want to pray for you to have the anointing to fast and you have no plans to fast. But you know who you are. You know what you're feeling, even upon hearing this information. And I remember times that my pastor would suddenly say that, you know, I as the pastor am calling a fast in the church. And I remember not feeling it sometimes and not doing it. So there's no condemnation in that. And um, just do what the Lord tells you to do. Thank you, Father, that fasting is one of those physical things we see in the Bible that is our responsibility like water baptism. A lot of times we think about water baptism before we are baptized in water, like, oh, yeah, there's that, until we suddenly feel an urgency like we need to do it. Even this year, I've baptized uh, in 2019, uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 
by 13 people. 13 people in that year alone. And all of them were suddenly feeling like, well, I need to do this. Because it's something we do. Fasting is the same way. It's another physical thing like the breaking of bread when we have that. Or like anointing with oil. These are all physical things we do that we see in the New Testament as practices of the believers that have power. After they prayed and fasted, it says the Spirit spoke and said, separate me from me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I've called them to do. We see that fasting can be one of the elements that create an atmosphere of ascending church. That's what we are at Antioch, Lord. And if we're going to send more and more people to do the works of God in many places, even some of us that are here tonight, going to other nations, we need to do what they did in the Bible. The scripture is very clear. So we're going to fast. We're going to pray. I am at least, and I'm going to seek you. And so I'm looking for all of the benefits of what we've covered here. This delight of fasting. We want our dawn to come. We want the light to shine. We want the rear guard to be your glory around us. We want all of the our righteousness to go before us as it becomes easy to do the right thing in life. Lord, please use us and anoint us. Give us directions by your spirit to fast correctly. I pray for the same anointing that you've given me through the years that is coming upon me now and has since even the end part of 2019. I pray for that anointing to be upon all of those that are making, as we saw tonight, the decision to fast. That you would move upon them and give them that ability to fast without issues under the Spirit of God, like Jesus, who was baptized in the River Jordan, and the Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove, and immediately the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness where he would fast for 40 days. Lead us, Lord, according to your purposes. We don't want to do a bad fast. We want to do a good fast. We don't want to fast wrongly. We want to fast right. So God, for those of us who are fasting, let your spirit be upon us to make it a reality and a success. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.